Well, thanks for joining us. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Long Hill Chapel, and we're just glad that you've joined us today and that you're with us as we continue in our series uh, through the book, the New Testament letter of Ephesians called The In-Between. You know, I'm a very competitive person. As I've gotten older, I've managed to hide it a little more than I did when I was a kid. But I am very, very competitive. There are very few things in my life that I don't attempt to project my entire identity on. And this comes down to like when you play family board games or card games or anything like that. We don't really do that in our house. And the reason is because Michael can't do it in a casual, low-key, relaxed way. I get very, very into those things, and I've discovered it's just better that we avoid all of that. And you know, I grew up in a family that played lots of card games, and you know, one of the things I discovered is how you win those games, how you win those in a more predictable fashion. You know, my family played a lot of cards, and they played a lot of games where you were dealt a hand of some kind, and then you had to figure out what you were going to do with it. And as a kid, what I tried to do is I always would try to wait for the perfect hand. I'd try to wait for just the right cards, the strong cards, the high cards, and then I would play the game. And if I didn't, I would just try to avoid really taking any kind of risks or doing anything like that. And what I discovered in doing that is that is an excellent way to lose playing cards. We would have these uh, family games where my dad and my grandfather and all of our extended family, we'd, we'd just have all these different tables set up in the house, and they'd play cards. And I would always lose to my father. I'd always lose to my grandfather. And what I started to observe about them is that they took a lot of risks. They would play anything that was a remotely playable hand, and they'd take the risk. And sometimes it would blow up in their face. Sometimes they would lose. But very often, more often, surprisingly often, they would win. And I discovered that that actually applies a lot to how we live life as well. Because think about games for a second. There's a couple different kinds. There's like those card games where you're dealt a hand and you have to figure out what to do with it in the moment. There's those other kinds of games like Monopoly where you have to think a few moves ahead. You have to make a strategy. You have to have a plan going in. And you know what? When you play games like that, both approaches can work, and both approaches can bear fruit, and they can be right in the moment. But it depends on how we decide to play the game. It depends on how we decide to do that. And the same is true with how we live our lives. Here's the thing I know about all of us. I know it about you, I know it about me, I know it about all of us, whether you're a game player, whether you're competitive, whether you're not, whether you like them, when it comes to life, we all want to win. And when I say win, I don't mean achieve the highest thing, uh, you know, make the most money, uh, do the best. I don't even mean that. I mean, we want a life. We want a, an existence that's meaningful, that's purposeful, that has the right impact, that we understand that the life that we lived was worth it. So we all want to win. And some of us, you know, we want to jump in with both feet. Others of us, we don't. But the thing that is true in any of those approaches is there are all sorts of ways that we can become distracted. And as followers of Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Christian today, as you listen to this, as you watch this, we're called to play a different game. We're called to play the game of life in a different way, but we're called to lean in. We're called 
We are people who have been given the opportunity of life. And we have the opportunity to make something significant of it. So we've been in the series called The In-Between, and today we're picking up in Ephesians chapter 5. We're more than halfway through the book, and what we discover, if you read back or if you listened or watched to any of the other messages, is in the beginning of the series, the Apostle Paul, who is the writer of this letter to the early church, he started out in these very lofty places, these lofty terms, but now what he's starting to do is he's starting to get practical. He's starting to get down into the nuts and the bolts and the nitty-gritty of how we do this in our lives, how we so-called play the game of life. And it's more than a game. It's very serious. And we've been given the opportunity to play it in a certain way. And so we begin in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. And he says this. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And what's interesting here is he doesn't say draw inspiration from Jesus or think about Jesus, you know, or be inspired mildly by Jesus. He literally says, follow the example of God. Do it the way that God did it. But then he offers a contrast. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You know, when you hear this for the first time, this kind of sounds like you would expect a passage from the Bible to sound. You know, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't, you know, say bad words. There should be no sexual immorality or impurity. You should live differently. We kind of expect that to be what we hear when we read the Bible. But what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he is speaking very specifically to his audience because the Ephesian church was in a city called Ephesus, hence the name the Ephesians. And Ephesus was a wealthy city, and it was also a city that was the home uh, to one of the early pagan fertility cults. And so there was a lot of sketchy stuff that was going on, a lot of sexual immorality, a lot of things that would raise a lot of eyebrows even in our world today. And so what he's doing really here is he's pointing out the things that would have been the natural course of events in the place that they lived. He's pointing out the things that are the natural distraction away from living in the direction of God. And you know what? They had them. And when we read a passage like this, we say, you know, maybe this isn't us so much specifically, but we have our own version of this. You know, and in Ephesus, it was sexual, it was material, it was greedy. But for us, it's something different. It's how we tend to play the game of life when we're left to our own devices. And the Apostle Paul uses really strong language here. He says, such a person who engages in those things is an idolater. And what he's saying is your desires, if you follow them to their natural conclusion, they become your God. If you follow your desires, even if it's what everyone else around you is doing, even if it's the way the world around you operates, if you follow those things to their natural conclusion, they ultimately rule you. 
They ultimately become the thing that you answer to. It's the thing that never leaves your mind. It's the thing that influences every decision. It's the thing that makes you how you feel, whether you're up or whether you're down, is how these things are. Those things become your God. And what he says beyond that is even stronger yet. He says, when that God is sitting on the throne of your life, Jesus isn't. If that's what's ruling your life, Jesus is not. And he's saying, don't fool yourself as to which religion you're part of. Don't fool yourself. You can sing the songs, you can go to church, you can know the right words, you can know all the Bible passages, but if you live your life, if you live your life following after these other things, the pet sins of our culture, or the things that would beckon us and distract us, we actually are living in a completely different way, and it's not the way of Jesus. And he goes on, and he kind of illustrates this. He says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. He says, don't fool yourselves, and don't let anyone else fool you when it comes to this. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. Don't hang out with them. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As Joey said last week, if you watched last week's message in Ephesians 4, you know better. You know better than to do that. You know better than to live that way. You've been given a better standard and a better example. And make a decision not to even hang out with that way of living anymore. In short, you're playing a different game. You're playing the game of life, and you're playing it in a different way. But then the Apostle Paul does, and this is where I want to spend most of the rest of our time today. He gives us a contrast, and this is what he does so often. He says, don't do this, but rather instead do this. He says, there's one way you could live, but this is the way you should live. And he goes on in verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so he's saying when it comes to your life, you have two options. You really have two paths you can take. There's a foolish path or there's a wise path. You can live unwisely or you can live in a wise path fashion. If you go back and you read some other translations, there's a translation of the Bible called the King James Version. Some of you, you grew up with that or you're familiar with that, and it's the one that has all the these and the thous in it. The way that passage, that verse is rendered is to redeem the time. Redeem the time. Live wisely. Make the most of every opportunity. Redeem the time. You know, redeem is not really a word we use a whole lot outside of church. 
But what it really was, was this idea, and how it's rendered in the original language, is this idea of saving something from slavery, taking something out of slavery. And this isn't accidental at all. The Apostle Paul uses this word exactly on purpose because so many of us, if we're truly honest with ourselves, we feel like we're enslaved to things. Some of us, we feel like time has enslaved us. There's not enough hours in the day. There's not enough minutes in the hour. There's not enough days in the week. We get to the end of our day and we see all the things that we didn't finish that we felt like we should have finished and it goes on and on. And that's the way our world is so often. We're slaves to the clock. But for some of us, we're actually slaves to something else. We're slaves to our desires. We're slaves to those things that the Apostle Paul was talking about with the Ephesians before. There's something that rules you, that pulls you in a direction, that determines how you live your life, how you prioritize, what decisions you make, how you see people, how you see resources, how you see the life that's placed in front of you, and it's not God. And so redemption is when we take hold of those things and we seize them back. We take them back. We redeem them from slavery. But then there's this concept of time. And we have our word time, and we use it for everything. You know, it's time for lunch. What time is it? It's used so many different ways. But the Greeks and the the people that the Apostle Paul and the language he was writing in, they actually had a couple of different words. They had the word chronos, which is clock time. You can kind of figure that out. So it's the measurement of time. It's the passing of time. It's the second hand on the clock. It's time as a unit, time as a measurement. But then there's this whole other idea that the early church had called kairos time. And this is like the moments of your life. Here's what I mean. My son, he is right now currently obsessed with the clock, and he's obsessed with time. He'll come up to me, and he'll say things like, hey, Dad, do you remember what happened on March 13th at 7.20 p.m.? And I say, son, I have absolutely no idea what happened. But he knows exactly what happened. But for most of us, and especially as we get older, that's not how we measure our lives, and that's not how we remember our lives. We measure and remember our lives not in chronos, not in the passing of minutes and seconds and hours, but in kairos, the passing of moments. Think about it this way. Kairos time, it's quality time. It's like the perfect day. It's measured by content. It's moments. It's milestones. It's memories. It's the right time. Some of you, you remember your first kiss. Some of you, you remember that last exam you took at the end of high school or at the end of college. It was the last test you were ever going to take. Some of us, we remember our child's first words or the time they walked for the first time. So we have all these memories that mark our lives. We remember the moments of significance. And that's actually how we measure our lives and the passage of time. It's not by minutes, but by moments. But it goes even beyond that. This idea of kairos, it kind of indicates a time of divine determination or fulfillment. So it's kind of like there's a sacredness to it. 
There's a sacredness to these moments. There's a sacredness to the passage of our lives. And what happens for so many of us is we're ruled by the clock, but the things that really matter aren't clock things. They're moments. And you know, when you measure your life, I don't know if you're anything like me, you can look back and there's certain seasons that time passed, but you don't remember anything about it. And it's because it was devoid of kairos. It was devoid of moments. The minutes passed, the hours passed, the days passed. For some of you, the years passed or even the decades passed. But there wasn't a lot of significance that happened in that time. And you know what's true with our moments is not all moments are positive. We know this. Some of us, that we, some of our worst memories are kairos, they're moments, they're these significant events in our lives, but all moments can have meaning. That's the good news of what Jesus brings us in the gospel is all of our moments can have meaning. And more importantly, they can be redeemed. Even the worst, even the most regrettable, even the things we would rather forget, even the season of life that we would rather skip over can be redeemed. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying is he's saying it is possible in Christ to snatch those minutes, the passage of time, even those negative seasons and experiences and moments back and see them redeemed, see them brought to life in a new way. And he's saying this is what wise people do with their lives. Unwise people let time rule them. Unwise people let their lives pass. But wise people are snatching back the passage of time. They're snatching it back. They're redeeming it. They're not allowing themselves to be enslaved by their desires, slaved by the clock, enslaved by the culture, but instead they're living in a way that's purposeful, and they realize that every moment has been given for a reason, and Jesus can redeem that moment. You know, I saw a quote this week, and I, I love how it sounds. It's from Paul Tripp, and he said this. He said, if God doesn't rule your mundane, then he doesn't rule you because that's where you live. If God doesn't rule your mundane, then he doesn't rule you because that's where you live. You know, what we do so often is we think that the sacred time, the sacred moments, that's like when we sing songs in church or you listen to someone like me, you know, or you do that. But really where this comes down or where the difference is felt is when God is in the mundane of our life. He's taking those mundane moments and he's redeeming them back for himself. And we're doing that in our lives. And the Apostle Paul says, if we don't do that, if we don't take possession of the moments, if we don't redeem them, then we're missing what God has for them. And that is the height of foolishness. That's not a good way to live. So how do we do that? And the rest of the passage kind of shows us how. It's another one of these passages where the Apostle Paul says, do not do this, but instead do this. Verse 18. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. There's a word we don't use very often. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. What he's saying is he's saying, do not dull yourself, do not medicate yourself, to life. 
You know what happens so often in our lives is our lives are a series of ups and downs. There's high points and there's low points. There's difficulty and there's good moments. And what we are tempted to do in the difficult places is to escape living fully in those realities. And in the ancient culture, ancient life was hard. It was short, it was brutal. And something that happened so often is they'd actually just have these, these drunken parties that would turn into like literal orgies. It was these crazy parties and it was how they escaped this crazy, difficult life that they found themselves in. And that was what was happening in Ephesus. And so the Apostle Paul is saying to the early church, he's saying, don't do what those people do. Don't go get drunk on wine. He doesn't say don't drink wine. He says, don't let it rule you. Don't let it dictate your life because when you do that, it leads you somewhere. It leads to debauchery. And again, we don't use that word very often. But that word literally is when you go to excess to the point where it defines who you are. It rules you. So he says, don't medicate yourself. Don't dull yourself. You know, we don't just do that with alcohol. We do that with so many other things. We do it with entertainment. We do it with the internet. We do it with our smartphones. We do it with screens that we scroll on. We do it with diversions. We do it with leisure. We even do it with our money and our resources. There's so many ways. We do it with work. We use it to avoid living in the reality that we find ourselves in, and we use it to escape. The Apostle Paul says, don't do that because it will rule you, but instead do something else. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And here's the good news for you is whatever life has thrown your way, whatever it's throwing your way right now, the spirit and the power and the presence of God is enough for you. It's enough for that moment. It's enough for that thing. It's something that you can depend on. You don't need to be filled with anything else. You can be filled with the spirit and the power and the presence of God. And then he goes on, he says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Most of us do not do this. But what he's saying is he's saying, let your life flow outward. Make God the center of it, but then let it flow outward to other people so that when they experience you, they experience Jesus. What do people experience when they experience you? Do you leave them with your issues? Do you leave them in a worse place? Are you one of those people where when people see you coming, they're like, oh, here he comes or here she comes. You know what those people are like. But instead, are you someone who you leave people with Jesus? You leave them with more than they showed up with. The Apostle Paul is saying, be that kind of person. Be filled with the Spirit, but then let that flow outward. Let it flow outward into your life and into the lives of those around you so that they see Jesus in you. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. You know, there's things in our lives, there's things in my life, there's things in your life that are really hard to be thankful for. But Paul's saying, don't get diverted, don't get distracted. Don't allow yourself to be dulled to the reality of life, but even in the difficult places, Give thanks to God the Father, knowing that he's given you the strength, he's given you the power, he has handed you the hand that your life is, but it's enough of a hand to play the right game. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. You know, one of the questions 
I've started to ask myself, and I try to ask other people is, you know, are you a fountain or a drain? Are you someone that you, there's, there's something flowing out of it and it's spilling over? Or are you something that sucks everything in, sucks the air out of the room, brings everyone else down to a lower place? Or do you raise people's gaze so that they see Jesus just a little bit more? As we close today, I want to offer you maybe just a few handholds, a few very practical ways we can start to live a life that even when our circumstances aren't what we want them to be, even when the hand we feel like we've been dealt is not the hand that we wish that we had, is something that can point others to Jesus and is a life we can look back on and say that was a worthwhile life to live. That was a worthwhile way to live it. The first thing is this. We see this kind of in the end of the passage here. Limit the things that don't produce a return. Remember what Paul said. He said, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's some things in your life that they do not produce a return. They don't produce fruit. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you have to spend every one of your waking moments in Bible study and devotions. That's great when we do it. But there are things in your life that actually don't produce a return. And you know what they are. They're the things you use to divert yourself. They're the places that you go that take you somewhere else, but they don't actually bring anything worthwhile and significant back. Think about it like this. If you're a farmer with a field, what is the best way that you can set that field up to produce a harvest? That's really the idea that we're talking about here. You could eat the seed, you could let the field sit there, or you could plant the field with things that produce a return. You know, in the Apostle Paul, he says there's a lot of things that do that. He uses the examples of, of course, joking earlier in the passage. He says he talks about greed. He talks about drunkenness. He talks about, you know, sexual immorality. But there's so many small things and so many big things that don't produce a return in our lives. You know, and I'm not saying that you should never binge watch a Netflix show again. But what I am saying is if that becomes the thing that defines your life, at some point, it doesn't produce a return. So limit the things that don't produce a return. Invest your time, invest your energy, invest your talent, invest your attention and your focus in places and people and things that do. Second thing is this, leverage your life into action. So we have limit, now we have leverage. Leverage, the idea of that is when you take a resource or you take something and you use it to accomplish something else. Your life has been given to you. Your circumstances have been given to you. The positive ones, the negative ones. We know from Scripture that you have gifts and talents that have been given to you. Are those things being used for your own advantage or are they being used for others? Remember what the Apostle Paul said in verse 19. He said, speak to others. He said, speak to those around you with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Do something that flows outward that's not for you and that begins to point other people to Jesus. There's an old quote. It goes this way. Don't live with the assumption that it's all for your consumption. Your resources, your time, your life, your passion, your energy, even the negative seasons and experiences in your life have been given you so that God can redeem them, so that he can make something greater out of them. Be a fountain. 
and not a drain. And the last one is this. Live like every day is a gift. Verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, he says, give thanks in everything. Give thanks in every circumstance. Give thanks on the good days and on the bad days. Live like every day is a gift. Here's what I know about gifts. When something has been given to you, and it's not something you think you deserve or it's something that you are entitled to, it's something that you receive as a gift, you treat it differently. When there's something that it feels like you didn't expect it, you handle it differently than those other things. And when you receive your days as gifts, you begin to look at your life, even your difficult days, differently, and you spend them differently. Limit the things that don't produce a return. There's something in your life that you need to do less of. Leverage your life into action. The life that has been given you has been given you not for yourself, but for others. And live like every day is a gift because it is. You know, there's never a perfect time in our lives. Just like in those games that I played as a kid, there's never a perfect hand. You never win all the time. But when we lean in and we engage, when we play the game, when we redeem the hand that has been dealt us, when we snatch the moments back from the minutes that define and mark our lives, we will see the hand and the power and the story of God being written if we refuse to get distracted and we play the game of life with all of our might. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for my friends. This applies to us in big ways and small ways today. For some of us, there's something we just have to limit. It's taken over. It's ruling us just a little too much. You're calling us to limit that. For some of us, you've given us a talent or a gift or a circumstance or you've placed us among a group of people or you've given us a relationship or there's a passion that we have in us that you are calling us to redeem, to put into practice so that moments will be created where you're present. And for all of us, we receive the gift of life that you've given us today. Maybe this isn't the day we wanted to live or the year or the season of life. Maybe these aren't the circumstances we wanted to have. But you opened our eyes today. You gave us breath in our lungs. And because of that, we know that we have not just purpose, but divine purpose. Purpose that if we'll live like Jesus and love like Jesus, you will use our lives for great good and for your glory. Help us do that by the power of your spirit. We thank you for our time together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.